Unfiltered by Jade. Jade. Welcome to the Unfiltered by Jade, where we get out of the box and dive into topics that are sidelined. I look forward to entertain, educate, and inspire. Feel free to like, share, subscribe, donate, and make everybody know about it. Beats by RB Records. Shopping assistance, your style, your budget. Our services include online and local shopping for individuals and businesses, personal shopping, purchasing of company and office supplies, importing and exporting small packages across Jamaica and worldwide, and helping you find unique gifts and items for all events and occasions. Contact us at 876-919-5195 or shoppingassistance2015 at gmail.com. Shopping Assistance, your style, your budget. Welcome back to the Unfiltered by Jade. Today we have with us here, Dr. Jeffrey Desadabo. Dr. Desadabo is a board certified psychiatrist specializing in the treatment of eating disorders and general psychiatry, including mood disorders, anxiety issues, ADHD, OCD, relationship issues. In addition to psychopharmacology, he also practices CBT and existential therapy. Hello, doctor. Hi, how are you today, Jay? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Nice. So, we want to speak about eating disorders and particularly anorexia and bulimia nervosa. So, I want you to, you know, give us give us your take on it and tell us what exactly it's about. And yeah, we just talk about it to educate other persons about this. Okay. Well, no, I always like to start off with, you know, a lot of times uh, people will say, what do you do? I say, I'm a psychiatrist. I specialize in eating disorders. And a lot of people say, oh, I need to speak to you. And the thing is, the truth is, you know, a lot of people have disordered eating, but an eating disorder is uh, quite a bit different. Uh, mostly that uh, a person with an eating disorder, what really makes the difference between disordered eating and an eating disorder is that when you suffer with an eating disorder, uh, the typical question I, I'll ask uh, my patients when I meet them is what percentage of your thoughts, uh, when you're not busy actively doing something, do you spend thinking about and worrying about things like food, weight, body image, calories, exercise? Um, and most of the time, their answer is going to be 70, 80, 90, 100%. Um, and, and, and sometimes they say, no, you know, 200%. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, with disordered eating, you don't get that constant obsession of thoughts about mm-hmm. food. Okay. Um, so what I usually um, want to look for is to what extent are their thoughts being kind of occupied? Because the thoughts are really what causes the 
distress that an individual goes through with an eating disorder. It's the hardest part. It's just there all the time. It's impossible to escape. And that's, you know, significantly affects the individual and how they function. So, yes, you were mentioning, it's particularly when people think of eating disorders, they think of anorexia nervosa, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of a refusal to want to maintain uh, a certain weight. So people with anorexia nervosa, uh, they have uh, very low body weights. Um, Their body mass index we look at is usually below a 17 on certain charts based on your weight and your height. And for like children and adolescents, you'll use growth charts and they're usually significantly low on their expected growth charts for their age and their height. Uh, And the mind kind of gets in with that where an individual says, I can't put on any weight or they look in a mirror or just how they feel in their skin is they feel significantly larger and uncomfortable than what they see in a mirror or how they feel in their skin or with their clothes. So there's a significant body image distress that goes with it and body changes and body image perception. And they have this fear that if they, you know, gain weight and everything, they're, they're going to become fat, even though they may be still at a low weight. And there's a lot of additional psychological meanings behind that. And that's really the difficulty. And sometimes with anorexia nervosa, um, they can decide to lose that weight uh, by restricting their food intake, eating very little during the day. And then there's a second type of anorexia nervosa, which is Uh, a binge eating and purging type. And some people don't often think that that can classify with anorexia nervosa, but it can. People can eat and then purge their food from like self-induced vomiting, excessive exercise, or using diet pills or laxatives. And, you know, it's all in an attempt to keep that low body weight. And again, that has a lot of significant psychological and medical consequences that go with it. So... So anorexia nervosa is very hard to treat, um, and it's usually because you're depriving the brain of so much uh, of what it needs that people's brain and their central nervous system gets compromised. And uh, usually the treatment involves restoration of weight. However, I always look at it as we're restoring the central nervous system in the brain. And, uh, so it, it, it takes some time. It's not easy. Um, bulimia nervosa uh, is when people have uh, periods of binge eating uh, where they're consuming significant amounts of food in short periods of time. They feel like they're in a zone. They're out of control. It's a, more of a mindless eating. And then once they consume this food uh, with bulimia nervosa, they need to get rid of it. Again, they need to compensate with it. So most people think, well, that's people who, again, they they binge and then they vomit, they throw it up. Uh, And that is probably one of the most common ways. But people can also uh, be classified with bulimia nervosa when they binge and then they do something else that's severe in a compensatory way, such as, well, I just won't eat for the next day or I'm going to do excessive exercise. Or again, I'll use diet pills or laxatives or some other way to... uh, compensate for what I just ate and it's always that compensation of doing something to kind of mitigate how they feel with what they just binged on 
because without the compensation, that's where you have people who have binge eating disorder, which is mm. more common even than anorexia and bulimia nervosa. So, uh, so that's the main thing with eating disorders and some rough criteria of the specifics of it. Okay, so I want to know what what direct effects do the eating disorders have on a person's body? Well, the the most direct it, effects it has, first of all, is on the brain. So, and again, there's my special interest is in the neuroscience with eating mm-hmm. disorders. So, when somebody has an eating disorder, and the longer it's there, and the more severe it is there are so many studies that shows how it impacts different regions of the brain. Uh, It also impacts how the chemistry of the brain works. Um, So people with bulimia nervosa, uh, there's findings that, you know, the frontal parts of their brain, which is often involved in things like uh, uh, the brain's reward system or kind of obsessive compulsive behaviors and thoughts, The brain looks different in people with bulimia nervosa in those regions than it does in people who don't have bulimia nervosa. And you're kind of wiring the brain. We're we're doing that with everything we, since the moment we enter this world, we're wiring our brain to think a certain way, to function a certain way. The same thing happens when someone has an eating disorder. So the longer they have it, those brain pathways are kind of getting hardwired. And that can keep the behaviors going. And with anorexia, however, there's even more significant changes. And a person loses brain volume. And people don't often think of it this way, especially the person with the anorexia nervosa. They're thinking, I'm losing weight, I'm losing body weight, I'm losing fat. But you're actually losing brain tissue and, 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 and cellular volume and, and not just the brain, but the central nervous system. So thinking becomes more difficult in certain aspects. Again, when someone looks in a mirror and they see this distorted image, you know, a lot of a lot of people around them might say, "What are you talking about? You're you're not fat. You 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 look very thin." But the person uh-huh. who's looking in the mirror, because of how their brain is compromised, actually sees that distorted image. So they're uh-huh. very again stressed over it. Even and then when others are telling them, "No, you're not," they don't trust other individuals. Right. So, so again, the brain is the biggest part of the body that gets affected. And however, that being said, when that brain is affected, there's a feedback. Our brain talks to all of our other organ system. It talks to our heart and our cardiovascular system, our gastrointestinal tract, our reproductive system, our muscular skeletal system. So when a person has an eating disorder, these different bodily systems are affected, first of all, by the eating disorder itself, because if somebody, let's say, with anorexia nervosa is not taking in enough uh, energy intake with their calories, they can start losing muscle, not just on their arms and legs, but like with your heart and everything. Really? So somebody, one of the biggest um, risk factors with an eating disorder is death by cardiovascular conditions. And people think, well, that's just with anorexia, right? Because your heart gets slow, Mm -hmm. the heart rate gets too slow. But people with bulimia nervosa also have significant disturbances. And it's very, it's not uncommon to hear of cases where people who, let's say, 
because bulimia nervosa, you can be at any weight, really, will go to bed. But because of the stress of the eating disorder that it puts on the body itself, die in their sleep because their heart stops. It's a very scary condition. And again, eating disorders have that high, aside um, with aside, secondary to uh, heroin use, it's, it's the largest cause of death in, in the field of psychiatry is with eating mm-hmm. disorders. So it can really affect all different parts of the body. And in one individual, it may affect their heart. In another individual, it may affect their bones. Osteoporosis and osteopenia are common, so they lose their density in their bones. And for another person, it may be problems with their lungs. So there are multiple factors, mm-hmm. right? Multiple factors, multiple regions that the eating disorder ends up affecting with a person's body. Oh, that's a lot. I mean, I didn't know that. I don't know that it affects a person's body that way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what people think. It's just about weight or something like that. And again, it's it's that's really how the it's everything the body needs to function in a certain way. With anorexia nervosa, you start to deprive it. And then with bulimia nervosa, the behaviors themselves, the binging and the purging, puts tremendous stress. Uh, I was talking with a patient yesterday um, who said, yes, I I, I vomit. And and we were kind of going into how the act itself is a very violent act to the body. It's, It's very stressful it's hard to be vomiting you don't feel well afterwards you get very irritable you get very fatigued and you're really when somebody does that on a regular basis they're you know the when we swallow food the process that pushes us all the way down and through our our system is called peristalsis but when somebody starts engaging in let's say purging behaviors where they're vomiting and bringing up the food you can actually retrain the peristalsis in, in, in our in gastrointestinal tract to reverse itself. So you're training the neurons to go in the opposite direction, okay? And then down the road, they have things like gastroparesis, where the peristalsis that it's supposed to happen just isn't happening. So they get cramps and abdominal pains and constipation. So it, like, it really, even the behaviors have a direct consequence on the individual who's suffering. Oh, wow. Um, how, do, does it change your personality? Oh, yes. Uh, look, if you, it, when you do things and it's altering your brain, your personality is going to change with it. There's, there's consequences. Uh-huh. So, and, and that's because, for instance, a lot of people with anorexia nervosa, they, come, they become very irritable and emotionally dysregulated short-tempered uh what people will say to me is you know this is not my spouse this is not my child they're a different person um Mm. and there's a region of the brain it's called the anterior cingulate cortex which they've shown in many people you get cellular volume loss in that region of the brain and this is a part of the brain where it's described as where cool emotions heat uh meet heated rationale okay so so it's where normally we can rationalize and stay calm and that kind of gets turned off for the time being and a person does their personality will change with that and there are characteristics personality characteristics that are very common to eating disorders such as perfectionism 
And so a lot of people with eating disorders, they're, they're straight A students. They appear on the outside that everything is perfect with them and they need to feel that feeling of trying to be perfect. Um, and what happens is on the inside, they know they're suffering and they don't feel it. So they're, they're kind of putting on this outside image uh-huh. that everything, mm-hmm. right, that it's great. And, and inside, they're not feeling that way. So that's going to lead to depression and anxiety disorders. And it becomes this vicious cycle for the individual to try to maintain a certain appearance. Meanwhile, not trusting that anyone around them may truly know who they are on the inside. Mm-hmm. So, so it, people will also start to then isolate themselves. You know, it's like, you know, what happened to my friend? She, she, she used to be so fun to play with. She wanted to go out all the time. She wanted to, and all of a sudden they, they're not calling. They don't want to do anything. They're irritable. Um, and, and you know, there's, they're preoccupied at the same time with all these thoughts. They may be, I can't go out because uh, I have to exercise for four hours tonight, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so there are, <laughs> yeah. so there's, there's a lot of things that take place on, from a personality. And again, because of not just what they're doing, but ultimately changes that take place with how their brain functions. <sighs> all right. So we know that anorexia is serious, right? Right. right. When, 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 who, who is most vulnerable to it? And when is it that we need to, when we see somebody start, like, you know, self-inducing, vomiting, when is it that we need to say, hey, all right, we need to get your help now because of this that you're doing? Okay, well, you were saying it's serious. They both can be serious. And what makes one, like, the course of an eating disorder is kind of, you know, the longer you've had the eating disorder and the more serious the behaviors are around it or the lower the weight is some of the factors. Um, having an early onset, you know, when children develop an eating disorder, they, they show signs of it. If it's not treated early, um, it, I go back to that premise of you're, you're starting to wire the brain. You right. know? So if the longer that goes on, the harder it becomes to treat. So very young people uh, is a risk factor when it starts. But it can be at any age an eating disorder can start. You want to get treatment, or at least an evaluation, as soon as you feel you may be developing that preoccupation with those thoughts. That's a better indicator sometimes than behaviors. Okay. Okay, so so let's say someone's listening to this. And mm-hmm. right now I say to that individual, what percentage of your daily thoughts where you're not busy doing something do you spend thinking about or worrying about food, body image, calories, exercise, things like that? Um, what you're going to eat later, what you had yesterday, what percentage of your daily thoughts? If an individual is thinking, oh, hmm, let me think that through, uh, maybe it's 40, 50 percent. That's that's a subclinical type of thinking. OK, mm, okay. you're going to because. Generally speaking, if, a, if an individual says, I don't know, 5%, 10%, maybe for adolescents, 15%, okay, then that's probably falling in the normal range, that everybody thinks about those things a little bit. Okay. When you start getting to more than that, then that's starting to raise some red flags. And of course, if somebody says, that's 80, 90% of my 
daily thoughts that, you know, when I'm not busy doing something, that's really an indication that an eating disorder process may be going on. Even if they're normal weight and they don't have a lot of behaviors, okay? So, so, and I think that's one thing I'd like to say is you can have an eating disorder. It is not something you can never look at an individual and say they have an eating disorder. It's not weight. You know, even if you meet somebody who's six foot tall and 80 pounds, they may have anorexia, which is different from anorexia nervosa. They mm. may have anorexia from a medical condition, a, a hypermetabolism, uh, and, or something underneath it that is not the eating disorder. So weight is not a factor to think about whether a person has an eating disorder or not. Oh, okay. That's interesting. We always look at skinnier people to say, or the slimmer people to say, hey, you know, you have an eating disorder. Right. So that kind of changes the mindset of things. Yeah, it's like I said, it's possible they may. But like I said, there, there are many people who may be significantly underweight, but due to a different medical cause. Okay. You know, genetics, okay. genetics too. I guess when you were asking me what what sets someone up is is genetics. If if some you, you, studies have shown basically people you're not going to get an eating disorder just because uh, somebody commented on your appearance or the media encourages uh, thinness. You have to still be genetically prone for the most part, and usually things like trauma and things like that trigger that genetics that causes an eating disorder to develop. And if somebody asks me, well, why do I have an eating disorder? If you look at all the studies, on average, about 60% of the onset is caused by hereditary factors, something hmm. in your genetic. Hmm. Okay. That's also an interesting news. That would, I, I didn't know that also before. <laughs> so that's good. How can family members and friends support persons having these eating disorders? Yeah, that's one of the most difficult uh, questions that I get asked. Um, I always think of like when someone's in my office and their family's there and they say, what can I do to help? Because you really want to help when you mm -hmm. see someone suffering so bad, but you, there, it's almost, there's, I have to always start off with a few things that they shouldn't be doing, okay? okay. Uh, not to be the food police, okay? Oh boy, that's hard. <laughs> Right. There, there, are, um, there are treatments for children and adolescents it's called the Maudsley approach, where parents kind of take over their young children's eating patterns and behaviors, and that's a whole technique. But for the most part, commenting on food, commenting on weight is not a good thing to do because it gets twisted mm. in the mind of somebody with an eating disorder. That's why I have to caution people, like if you wake up and you say to, let's say someone's daughter is suffering with their eating disorder and they have that body image and you say, you look good today. What, what, what the patients will say is, my mom said I look fat today. Oh, if, boy. If you say you look healthy, healthy means you look fat. Oh, you know? boy. So people will say, well, what do I say? And I say, <laughs> look at the individual and, and, and comment about how you think they feel. Like, you look happy today or you look upset today. Okay. Oh, so, okay, okay, okay. So there that. is this tricky language that kind of takes place. And it almost is like you're walking on eggshells. Oh, yes. And you're going to probably crack some of those eggshells, you know, <laughs> with, even with good intentions, you know. 
But what they need, I, I think, for, for support, the, the best thing someone can do is to find spe- specialists. Okay? okay. So a lot of people think, well, it's an eating issue, right? Let me find a nutritionist. I, I always say that it's more than an eating issue. It's first, it's really a medical psychiatric issue. So you have to have a doctor who's good at knowing what to follow, you know, okay. uh, check, checking labs, checking EKGs, risk factors, and seeing a patient regularly if, they're ser- if their eating disorder is very serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, a therapist needs to specialize in eating disorders. It is a tricky language, and there are things that, therapists who are untrained sometimes may say that actually does more harm, you know? I agree so, with that. <laughs> so you want to kind of like look at organizations like um, uh, International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals, IADEPT, and see if like online they may have a list of people in, in, in someone's area that specialize in it. Or, or NIDA, a National Eating Disorders Association, see if there's people on that that specialize. And always first try to find a specialist. Even when you're finding a nutritionist, um, every nutritionist often says, oh, I treat eating disorders. The thing is, most nutritionists mostly treat disordered eating, okay? Because an eating disorder is a specialty. There are so many things different. You don't weigh patients generally all the time. You really have to be careful whether you even discuss the numbers, you know? Um, you, you, You tend to not want to put eating disorder patients with anorexia or, or bulimia on mm. caloric type of diets. It's not, a, it's learning how to eat. It's called the exchange systems, how many proteins, how many carbohydrates, you know? And, and, and so, and, 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 a, and a nutritionist who specializes in eating disorders understands the lingo also to not kind of trigger the patient. So usually what we're trying to do is we want all food um, to be okay Okay, everything's fine in moderation. Right. So if an eating disorder patient may say, well, listen, I'd like to uh, um, uh, eat healthy. Th- those aren't words. We don't use words like healthy foods, not healthy foods, oh. good foods, bad foods, not with an eating disorder. In fact, usually the person in their head already has a very rigid good foods, bad foods, which are mostly bad foods. So, you know, you have to change the thought process to change. Well, so what that. words do you use? Um, well, you're using, um, every, every, every clinician is going to use the, a slight version of words, but like I said, well, you, a, a nutritionist will often work with somebody and use what's called an exchange program, which mm-hmm. means we need you to consume, uh, three exchanges of carbohydrates for lunch, two proteins, uh, one fat, and then they're, they're taught like what foods fall under those categories and they have to have as you develop that treatment plan the number of exchanges required at each meal to to kind of rehabilitate the eating process because that's what it is the whole the whole thing with eating disorder treatment is rehabilitation right so so yeah so it's it's a totally different approach than Somebody who says, I have disordered eating, I need to go in, I want to talk to my nutritionist and get a diet, that, that would be a, a completely ineffective approach. Mm. Because again, the, an eating disorder is not about food. It is not about body image or, or weight. Those are all things that someone uses to feel a sense of control in their life most of the time, when mm. they, especially when they feel their outside real world life is out of control or difficult to control. 
okay that's, that's interesting so basically um family and friends also need to have some patience while dealing with persons who are going through this yes yes without it, that's so yeah so that's the biggest thing when, with, with how do i support someone is really find them specialist you know and, and that becomes very difficult in today's world especially when we're talking about not just what's available in certain areas, because there can you, some people live in parts of, of the country and of the world where they don't have access to professionals. Right. But the other big component is it's hard to find professionals with insurance. It's hard to find right a lot of doctors and professionals right, these right. days. So it, it becomes almost a more difficult task, and because eating disorders are uh, are, are much more difficult type of thing to treat uh it takes it's more time consuming so a lot of professionals don't accept insurance because they can't get reimbursed for the amount of time that's involved in, oh in, this, in the treatment of an eating disorder it's so labor intensive you know? yeah it's it's a lot it's a lot yeah but I, you know i don't want people to feel hopeless you know? i mean yeah i wouldn't want them to feel hopeless and i'm just saying it's, it's a lot of work and the thing is if they're not willing to also put in the work to get better Sometimes right. it, you won't really yield fruit from it. So they right. also have to understand that, hey, they need to get better. There, there, There's a problem. The first thing is to identify that I have a problem. Yes. But even when everyone with an eating disorder knows they have that issue. And I can tell you from all the patients over the years I worked with, if they would say, for the most part, well, I'm saying 99 something percentage of patients if i said if you could wake up tomorrow without your eating disorder without those thoughts would would you do it they would say yes they don't want to have it but they're paralyzed with fear of sometimes just having a meal having something a new food you know it, it it's like like uh once i learned from a patient something i heard and i, I always say this because it just clicked she said you know, I was struggling with eating. I said I wanted to get better. My dad said, well, then why don't you just eat? And the oh. girl said to her father, that's like telling someone who's drowning, why don't you just swim? Yeah. yeah. You know, it doesn't quite work that way. You yeah. know, it's, it's paralyzing. Even when someone gets straight A's in something like chemistry and physics and they, they're brilliant and you put something like a hamburger in front of somebody in their head, they're saying, if I eat this hamburger, I'm going to gain five pounds or 10 mm -hmm. pounds, mm -hmm. even though the chemistry and physics of it doesn't work that way, you know? So it's, it's, you know, the most intelligent, well-meaning individual can't, when it comes to the actual aspect of what they need to do to recover with an eating disorder, they get paralyzed, so that's what makes treatment hard because then the person feels everyone's mad at them or, or and sometimes they are you know and when because if you have never been through it uh, a loved one a parent a friend they don't understand i right. don't understand why you can't eat that right and, and i always say it's it's kind of like if i asked I, sometimes at a conference and i actually once brought up this giant refrigerator box and i said i want to show you what it's like to have an eating disorder. Can I have a volunteer? And a mom came up and as she came up, I said, here's what I want you to do. I said, uh, do you, are you afraid of snakes and spiders? And of course she was. And I said, but if I tell you right now in this box, I have 100 non-venomous, non-biting snakes and spiders. And I want you to get in this box for one minute 
just to show you it's okay. And of course, you know, everyone in the audience face dropped. Uh-huh. And I said, that is actually that feeling when we put, let's say, a sandwich or a hamburger in front of someone really struggling with uh, anorexia nervosa. And we say, right. just, just have this. It's a paralyzing feeling. Yes, yes. So, so it takes time. I, I always do say, even if I have that box with 100 snakes and spiders, uh, Jade, even you, I, I could get you to get into oh, that box. No, you don't. <laughs> I could. I, I could. If you, if you let me work with you, I can get to the <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, that's a good example. We didn't look at it like that before. So, you know? yeah. Yeah. Didn't look at it like that before. So, that's good. So, doctor, where is it that we can find you? Uh, well, don't come to my house. <laughs> but, uh, oh, uh, man. On, on on my websites, uh, <laughs> drdesarbo.com. So it's uh, D-R-D-E-S-A-R-B-O. That's drdesarbo.com is my website. Uh-huh. My treatment place is called ED180. So ED uh, hyphen uh, or dash, I guess it is, 180. Or you can just yeah. write ED180.com works too. Um I think if people want to know more, and especially with the neuroscience aspects of it, mm-hmm. cause I, I think that opens people's eyes a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, on YouTube, if they just type in Dr. DeSarbo and eating disorders, um, I have a whole YouTube page that I put up for people during the pandemic just to keep getting educated because the pandemic had caused such an increase in eating disorders and the severity of them. So I used to do a lot of talks and I, and I, there's actually like, uh, I put a 15 part video series and it's in different categories, bulimia, anorexia, binge eating, different things. Yes. I've been listening to them. Oh, okay, great. And yeah, so I I put a lot there and I, I, I really put that up there for people to really do a great amount of education on it. And, uh, and then I think uh, uh, if people want, I'm on Facebook at DeSarbo Psych, P-S-Y-C-H. So you can find me somewhere on the, on the <laughs> internet. That's fine. That's so. fine. That's fine. We'll look it up. Thank you so much, Doctor. We really appreciate it. I mean, I've learned a lot. And I'm sure listeners also have learned, especially within um, the neuroscience and oh. how the brain affects it because that I did not know. Yeah. So. And again, for me, it's, in fact, when people say how to, what is recovery? Recovery is when you restore your brain and how it functions back to its baseline. Okay. And again, last thing I'd just like to say is eating disorders are treatable. You know, eat, even the hardest ones. It's if, if someone's been struggling for a long time and they're feeling hopeless or nothing has helped, you just haven't gotten to somebody yet who's, you know, found the secret combination. So. Wow. Okay. So it, it can be helped. It may seem tough, but it can be helped. It will take yes. time, but it really does. Can, yes, it, can it will be. take time. Yes. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So thank you again so much for this, Doctor. Really appreciate oh, it. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, and I really enjoyed having you here. And thank you again, guys, for listening to the Unfiltered by Jade. We'll be back next week Tuesday. Thank you.